your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture Weird stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast which has 9,304 beer cans She let me down and now I've got the blues All I can think of now is the way your shoes Trampled all over me and left me here to stew But I'm okay now, I've worked out what to do I'm sat here eating reason chocolate chews So fuck <laughs> you <laughs> Sing reason chocolate chews So fuck you Stick Around Podcast is brought to you by Reason Chocolate Chews, Germany's answer to the Rolo since 1934. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, 34, that's interesting. Yeah. I traditionally think of the Reason Chocolate Chew as a 90s product, uh, but then I've realised that that's just when I came into, you know, I just met them for the first time in the 90s. You know, life was existing before me and will continue after. Thought, thought for the day that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Al. I feel like I let you. You, you had one instruction, which was perform it seriously, and uh, <laughs> fucked it. It was just uh, <laughs> the further I got and realised that every single line r- rhymed, <laughs> the more ludicrous it felt. <laughs> <laughs> well, the people yeah, at Reason have paid good money for that song, so. <laughs> Okay, yeah. I mean, it would take me a while to write. So. <laughs> well, you're you're here for Stick Around Music, uh, the last of our comically late Best of 2018 lists. I promise you some new content soon. Um, I'm here with the two music experts we've got. We've got Clive Fisher. Ahoy. And we've got a little sprinkling of Michael Johnson. Hello there. Um, how, was, how was music for 2018? Sum it up in a sentence. Wank. I mean, that, that's a word, Clive, not a sentence. <laughs> uh, you can be a sentence. You can have a yeah. sentence. No, you probably can't. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, it's been good, but I've not listened to as much. Like last year, I think I made a list of 82 albums that I've, wow. that I've reviewed. This year, it's more sort of on the 30 mark, so it's not been as as, uh, as eventful, but it's probably because I've got into certain albums more, and I'll get into why later. And ended up listening to those more on repeat. But I think it's been a really good year. Like, there's tons and tons of stuff that I still want to listen to from 2018. Um, so, yeah, I would say it's been very, very good. Michael? Yeah, it's been uh, very competitive. Every year's always good. I mean, this year feels like it's been quite slow so far, but it always catches up later. And um, t- 2018 was a very genre-diverse year for me, I'd say. And... Um, yeah, this is going to be my first uh, one of these best of lists that isn't going to feature any hip hop in my top wow. five, Whoa, for example. Okay, so, wow. Um, that's unusual for me. Um, Very. But yeah, yeah, 
So it's it's been a really it's been hard to order these five albums that I'm going to mention, and certainly to pick a number one as well. Okay, well, we're going to stick with you, Michael, and I want to hear your number five. Okay, thank you. At number five, I've got "Ordinary Corrupt Human Love" by the Californian band Death Heaven. Uh, they're uh, well, we would describe them as a metal band. They're certainly uh, in the genre of metal, but exactly how to classify them has been quite a source of controversy since they first emerged at the start of the decade. They're basically post-metal, I would describe them as, but they have been usually considered to be part of the black gaze genre, which blends elements of black metal and shoegaze. Uh, they've been right at the forefront of that and have really become the quintessential band of that sound which first started emerging in Europe, probably specifically France, about 15 years ago or so. And uh, especially with their 2013 album Sunbather, which is really a classic of the the sub-genre, they emerged as uh, the name that people probably most commonly associate with this style of music. Uh, Their follow-up album to that, New Bermuda, in 2015, was uh, also a great album, in my opinion. It reduced a lot of of crunchier... Uh, classic metal sounds to uh, to what they do, which I thought was quite interesting. I think this new album is uh, is their se- is their second classic in my eyes. Uh, it's it takes some of those new influences, which sort of draw from the uh, the new wave of British heavy metal in the nineteen eighties, uh, even some of the uh, the barrier thrash of that era as well, that was influenced by British heavy metal heavily, of course, and. Uh, so, Puts it all into the melting pot and comes out with another great album. The four main uh, tracks, which are all large movements, are all um, instantly superb additions to Deaf Heaven's discography. Uh, the track Honeycomb was nominated for a Grammy for Best Metal Performance, which is... Uh, I mean, the gra- I mentioned that there's not going to be any hip-hop on my, uh, on my list this year. Um, ironically enough, this was the year where the Grammys um, apparently made efforts to diversify their judging panels uh, and I think that was that was aimed more at uh, racial diversity for sure but I think there were some interesting results um, we like to say, uh, serious music fans like to say they don't care about the Grammys which is uh, probably quite true but it's still nice to see some of the artists that I'm going to be mentioning today get recognition uh, this year at the Grammys and this was one example from Deaf Heaven and uh, I think it shows how underground m- music or music that certainly starts out as underground can really uh, emerge into the mainstream and get a surprising amount of recognition. Um, Deaf Heaven are a band that no one really would have expected to uh, to grow as far as they have, I don't think, in terms of commercial appeal. And there's still uh, there's still further scope there, which should keep them uh, an exciting band to watch and listen to in the future. But uh, this album, I mean, it's um, the set their the, the sound is really quite oceanic. You know, it has a really glimmering sound to it, even when it's uh, played quite heavy. Vocals are typically harsh, which has been the main thing that has turned people off from the band. That doesn't change on uh, on this album. But there's a lot of instantly memorable riffs that will really stay with you. Uh, and sections. A lot of um, more slowed down, pared down uh, movements in between the main sections of the album. So in terms of structure, as are most of the albums I'm going to be talking about today, in terms of structure, it's a big, big album. Uh, and I just think... Um, you know, the last album was more of a transitionary album, but in either side of it now they've come up with uh, two superb albums 
that have really made them one of the best bands in the world. I think they're going to remain, as I said, an interesting one to watch going forward. And uh, yeah, this was good enough to beat out some really good albums to make my top five for this year. Cool. Uh, again, no one's surprised to uh, hear that I haven't heard this. Clive, any opinions on this one? Um, I haven't heard it, no. I'd like to, though. Michael's definitely made it sound interesting, and Def Haven are definitely a band that I've always wanted to listen to, <laughs> but just not got around to. I think you could enjoy this, Clive. Um, like just the, the the style of um, I know I know the sort of um, some of the guitar music that you like. Uh, I think it would appeal to you. So yeah, probably start with uh, with Sunbather as I mentioned, but all their albums okay, are, uh, cool. are really interesting. Awesome! Mm. I'm going to do that after this. Great. It's on on the list. Cool. Uh, so th- that was just post metal. You said Michael. Nothing more interesting po- to add to that. Well, post metal and black gaze. Black gaze. Okay. <laughs> Yeah okay, all right. I mean, it's it's not. Is that it's not exotic enough for you? Not. I mean, I've heard better, but um, you know, <laughs> it's not. It's not funeral doom. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll see if anything more exotic turns up later. Uh, Clive, what have you got at your number five? Um, at my number five, um, just boshed in right now, as of ten seconds ago, when I remembered that I'd listened to an album that I'd forgotten about, <laughs> is. Um, Sister Cities by The Wonder Years, which is an album that I, like I say, forgotten that it'd come out this year. It felt like, well, last year. It felt like it'd come out the year before that, um, but it hadn't. Um, So I've made no notes on it whatsoever, but it's, The Wonder Years are one of my favourite bands. Um, Soupy, Dan Campbell, is a guy we've talked about a lot on the podcast. Legend. Um, He's a bit of a legend. I mean, you know, if you're named after a can of soup, you're doing pretty well. (laughs) Um, He's... A very kind of, um, he's just one of those, sometimes you just find a singer that you can relate to a lot and everything they sing is kind of like in a way that you would describe things and like, or in a way that you think about things but haven't realised. I don't know how to explain that, but um, yeah, I just find him like, he's one of those people that I listen to if, you know, if I'm not feeling great or whatever, I'll put on The Wonder Years and it always makes me feel better because I just like the way he thinks about things and his He's got a real, um, just a, he's probably, in my opinion, one of the best people at trying to, you know, evoking emotions through the melodies that he does and the way he sings. And he can, you know, go from a very soft, folky kind of singing to shouting pretty loudly, but still very in tune and uh, pretty high, um, while still not in any way sounding... um, too perfect and kind of manufactured or anything it all sounds really genuine like i think a lot of um pop punk and um, which is I, i'd put them into pop punk pop punk slash emo if i'm going to put them in a bracket um is the the vocals can sound a little bit like they're trying to sound pop punk <laughs> um here i don't think that's the case and i know some people who don't like it and i think that's because of the fact it sounds a bit different but um to me i, I really like his vocals i think it's fantastic and um, there's just so much emotion in there and I've seen, they're one of the bands I've seen the most, and they've always been absolutely fantastic. Um, this album is essentially about them touring. So it's kind of about being away from, you know, being away from home and um, the distance between, you know, touring in Europe and being at home in America and how modern 
world has made that distance smaller in terms of like electronic communication but that doesn't necessarily solve everything and those are I guess some of the topics it it covers but a lot of the time it's a bit more fragmented than that and it's more about just him experiences that he's had while touring so there'll be one written about when he's walking around in Japan you know certain things there's one um, written about I think it's in Manchester um, and he mentions certain things where you can pick out where it's um, where it where that he wrote the song and i just find that kind of stuff really interesting because that's how i write music i generally go places or write about places or things that i've seen i guess observational um and he's very much like that but then turns that into a kind of psychological thing as well in the way he's you know feeling at that moment and that kind of thing um it's full of they it's probably less chorus heavy than the last few albums have been in terms of having, you know, banging choruses. That's the kind of thing he's really good at, <laughs> making really catchy choruses. But I think here there's less of them, but the, in a way that makes the ones that there is a bit more um, a bit more effective. They impact you a bit more. I think the songs build up a little bit more. They go, don't go straight into things. It's a bit more mature, I guess you could say. But often I think uh, mature is, an, is a kind of an overrated thing in music and often to me makes it a little bit more boring. Um, in this case, I don't think that's the case. I think it, yeah, I think it's a really, really good album. I don't know where I'd put it in terms, I still think No Closer to Heaven is probably their best, but I would, this would definitely be contending for second place. Um, it's really, really good. And for me, I don't want to go into it too much because I want to talk about my, you know, top three or so in a bit more detail. But um, the highlight for me is the last song, which I think I've talked about before, The Ocean Grew Hands to Hold Me, which is this kind of, um, it does this thing of having a verse and then like an instrumental chorus, which gets kind of more and more wall of soundy as it goes on until at the end, it's just like everything's going and it's just got this really emotional central melody played on a, a guitar, I think, um, which is just, yeah, fantastic. And I remember when I saw them live, I remember standing in the middle of the, <laughs> I was just stood in the middle of the dance floor and like when it came on, I was just like crying and yeah, it was awesome. Fantastic. And it, yeah, it's a really affecting album, but that song in particular, I think is quite possibly, you know, in their top three songs that they've written and quite possibly their best song that they've written. Um, and it's, it's quite different to some of their other stuff. So they're branching out a bit. My only complaint, which is for me quite annoying is that i really don't like the mix it's way too trebly um and there's like way too much symbol uh which i don't know if anyone else would notice but to me it's quite grating <laughs> and it's kind of stopped me listening to the album as much as i'd like which is really annoying because it only sounds good on a very specific set of headphones that i've got in my opinion which yeah that that's kind of irritating but um other than that i really really love the album i think the songwriting on it's fantastic i think the performances on it are fantastic and yeah it's like I say a really affecting thing and yeah it's maybe not as objectively interesting as some of the other albums but I tend to as with the other arts um my top five tend to be made up of things that have affected me the most and this is definitely one of those um I'd like to just I'll just give a quick mention to the one I think that is bumped out in within 10 seconds which is Krangbin Contordo El Mundo <laughs> which is just an excellent uh fucking yeah it's brilliant it's just they're um from Houston, Texas. They don't sound like they're from Houston, Texas. It seems very Asian-inspired. Um, generally an instrumental band, um, but there is some singing over the top. And they just make fabulous, chilled music. And Contour del Mundo is perfect music to not only have on in the background, it's great for an attentive listener as well, but it is. You put it on, you feel relaxed straight away. And the bass... The kind of rhythm section of the band, the bassist and the drummer, are, you know, some of the best I've heard. They're just so locked in and 
not overly complex, but sounds, you know, such groove. It's amazing. So that's another one I'd highly recommend. So, yeah, there's a couple. Great. Cool. Any of those, uh, sorry, either of those, sorry, you've listened to, Michael. I believe when we visited Clive, you may have had the, uh, the, the one he mentioned being bumped out on. I uh, can't remember exactly. Um, that's quite possible, I think yeah. I heard a bit of that then. It sounded pretty good. Um, it's as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't listened to the uh, the Wonder Years, but um, I mean, I've wanted to for a while since Clive's mentioned them so many times. For example, at the end of last year, I just got into the Hotelier, so I'm, I'm years behind in terms of things Ooh. Clive mentions, and then I finally get back <laughs> to listening to him. Well, the hotel, yeah, there's certainly similarities there. For yeah, definite. okay. So if you like the Hotelier, you'll probably like the Wonder Years. Um, yeah, I mean, the last two Hotelier albums, uh, especially uh, Home Like No Places, that are superb. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Agreed. so, yeah, uh, worth it in the end. So I'm sure that'll be the case <laughs> with the Wonder Years eventually, yeah. Right. Oh, fantastic. Um, okay, so we're back to Michael, who may have... A more interesting eclectic genre this time. We're all hoping. Who knows? <laughs> You're just throwing shade here. Yeah. I mean, ugh, fuck's sake, Michael, with your bland, whatever it was. <laughs> I don't, unfortunately. So you're going to be, oh, you're going to be pretty straight disappointed. pop. Um, I just want to mention that my uh, since there's not going to be any hip hop al- uh, albums on the list, and since Clive mentioned one that narrowly missed out on his, I'll just mention that my. Uh, Hip-hop album of the year was Paraffin by Armand Hammer. So, just to put it out there. Uh, but at number four on the list, I've got uh, Singularity, the latest album from the British electronic Ooh. producer John Hopkins. Uh, his last album was uh, Immunity, uh, five years previous. Uh, a highly acclaimed album, uh, which I certainly like. Uh, but I've, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before that... Um, Again, much like my number five album, we're talking about structurally. We're talking about um, even though this is electronic music, it takes cues from post rock uh, and post metal. The style, the way they're structured. I think Hopkins does so in a way that I haven't seen much in electronic music, with the exception possibly of the uh, superbly named, of course, Fuck Buttons uh, from Bristol. But um, yeah, on Immunity, I think I've mentioned before that I, uh, I found some of the uh, transitions to the more uh, post post stru- sort of structure style p- piano sections, the sort of comp- those style of compositions, a bit jarring, and I didn't feel like it flowed as seamless- seamlessly as it might have. Clearly, not many people mm-hmm. had that complaint because that album was much beloved. But uh, in this case, with the new album Singularity. Certainly just as ambitious in terms of structure, but this time it connected a lot more with me and I thought it was one of the best releases of last year. Uh, it really, it really, in terms of its structure, uh, I mean, it's divided into, I believe, nine tracks, but I haven't really thought about it as track-based. I think of it more as one piece of music. That's the way I listen to it. So I'm not going to use any track titles or anything here. But in, in terms of the first, probably not even the first half, but probably the first um, third or so of the album, really rockets up there in terms of tempo and beats uh, takes a lot of cues from um, from techno I would say uh, that's often been Hopkins' style uh, when he really goes for the dance floor style of music uh, and then in the second half it's really um, a slow and steady uh, come down from an epic sort of height uh, much more ambient based uh, less beat based music and I can think of um, particularly uh, some specific melodies in that second half 
that are really uh, slow, slowly morphing, uh, really stick with you. And for me, are just just as valuable as the, uh, the more harder driving section of the album that powers it towards the start. I think a lot of listeners will probably have a preference for one style or the other, and will probably be split on whether or not it all ties together well. But for me, it was perfectly composed, and it really marks Hopkins out as one of the finest uh, electronic composers in this country, which for me remains a world leader. Maybe not in many things, but certainly in electronic music these days still. Uh, and again, similar in terms of... Obviously, I've made the comparison in terms of uh, structure and some of the cues that it takes uh, its influences from between this album and the last one I spoke about, the Death Heaven album. But again, there's a Grammy tie-in in that Hopkins was nominated for uh, Best Electronic Album for this record. Uh, didn't win, which um, given... I mean, it looks like quite a strange nomination against some of the others that are in the category. Um, but it's as again, as I said, it's nice to see someone who's been working for a long time in their career towards um, that sort of thing be recognised in that way, regardless of whether or not they win. So I think great to see this album getting that sort of recognition. Uh, and yeah, again, it's um, it's another one of my favourites of last year uh, against a strong field, a lot of uh, releases, as I mentioned, from uh, established acts who've released a lot of great stuff. But for me, this this album is uh, the best I've heard from Hopkins, I would say, and uh, a cut above in that sense. So for anyone who's interested in electronic music, it's certainly a one that they should hear. And it's got absolutely uh, beautiful artwork as well, which I think really always a bonus when it ties in and uh, really reflects the music back to you. And I think that's what this uh, this gorgeous album cover does. Right, fantastic. I think um, electronic music is always one that I've wanted to get into more, but I haven't done that much. Like, I do remember mm. listening to uh, the gloriously named Fuck Buttons, as you mentioned earlier. Um, Clive, any familiarity with this? Um, yeah, I've listened to John Hopkins. It, in my end, cut out a bit at the start there, and I couldn't figure. I think I missed when you mentioned the album, and I was coming back in trying to figure out what you were talking. Oh, about. All right, okay. I, I guessed John Hopkins, and then you mentioned it um, later on. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, yeah, I, I've listened to this. This is one that I listened to um, a lot, kind of casually, but didn't get into um, the stage where I actually got around to kind of listening to it properly and you know putting together my thoughts. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I really, really, yeah, I was really enjoying it. Um, it's one I need to turn back to. It's one of those that kind of got lost um, in the mold. But I was really enjoying it because I, I started off listening to his earlier stuff and was kind of going through it as a discography in a way, which is what, something I've done quite a lot this year. Yeah. Um, so going from the start to the end. But then I was kind of listening to the last one as well as, as I was going through it. So I have listened to it a fair few times. I really did like it. I think he's... Um, yeah, he's just fantastic. It's really interesting, um, tra- like the way he does transitions, and it's especially interesting if you do go back to his very first one. How much he's developed, like his first one. I think it's a, it's really good, but it's very basic in terms of its song structures and you know transitions. Everything's pretty predictable, mm-hmm. um, but not. I wouldn't say necessarily in a bad way. It's quite a comforting album because of that. I think. But um, he's definitely developed in terms of you know making things more exciting and pushing pushing boundaries a bit. Yeah, it's always so satisfying to see artists develop that way. Um, yeah, and it's—I mean—it's just as exciting to see an artist start out and be excited about what they what they might become. But it doesn't always happen that way. Um, yeah. But with uh, I think with Hopkins, you've got a, a really mature artist now, and you can you can tell that from the music. 
Yeah, definitely. And he, he's gone kind of the other way as to what often happens. Often the first album is a bit manic and doesn't really fit any conventions. And then the bands start getting a bit more conventional. Yeah. I feel like he's gone the opposite way, which is yeah, quite it's, interesting. It's true. Yeah. It's always very yeah. interesting to see how acts develop like that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, definitely one that I need to check out more. So, excellent. Uh, my number four, Al. Okay. Is I'm probably not going to talk about it a lot because I've got a feeling I've not seen Michael's list. This is me being completely honest. Uh, we have seen our other lists, but <laughs> we haven't shared this one. Uh, I've got a feeling this one's going to appear later. Could be wrong, but um, I'll mention it a little bit. It's DJ Cozy Knock Knock, um, which is a well. It's just a fabulous album. I don't really know how exactly to go into it massively, but I mean DJ Cozy is a He's a German DJ and music producer, basically. Um, I've not listened to any of his other albums. This is his third, let me just check, first, third, yeah, I thought it was his third. Um, his first was in 2005, apparently, called Cozy Comes Around. And then in 2013, he had Amygdala, and now he's got, uh, in 2018, Knock Knock. It's a very long album. I'm not usually one to have long albums on my list because I often just can't concentrate for something for more than 40 minutes. So, <laughs> but this, it's about an hour from what I remember. Um, and it's just a, I absolutely love it because it's, uh, it just feels like it's really summery, but not in a obnoxiously happy kind of way. It's just this really beautiful journey. It feels a lot like, a bit like Michael was saying about the, with the John Hopkins album, it doesn't really feel like um, different songs, even though, they don't necessarily blend into each other. Um, they just fit together so well, I think, that it just kind of feels as a whole complete, complete piece. And I'd really struggle to pick out certain songs that I like more than others just because, A, because all of them are just so good, which for an album that's an hour long seems ridiculous. There is usually something I'm like, yeah, you should have got rid of that. But here I'm really struggling on that front. Um, I just think it's really, really brilliant. And it's this wonderful kind of instrumental journey. And yeah, it's fantastic and everyone should listen to it and i haven't the problem i'm having is that i listened to this at the start of last year so it's been so long that i don't really remember exactly um all the intricacies of why i loved it so much which is a shame because i did love it so much and i need to listen to it again but uh, but yeah it's absolutely was has been one of my, my favorite albums of last year i think it's fantastic and everybody should check it out i think a lot of people i think definitely got a lot of hype so People should listen to it. It's kind of one of those that uh, works great in the background, um, but also if you give it an attentive listen, there's so much going on. It's so layered and so, um, you know, so much thought has gone into all the tracks and it's, you know, kind of danceable, but also not too attention-seeking in a way. Um, yeah, it's just perfect. I love Knock Knock by DJ Cozy and it's one of the few times that a sort of a DJ album has made it into my top five, which I think speaks volumes for, for how good it is. <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, maybe I would suggest, Michael, if um, if it's going to appear later, keep us in suspense at least. Um, well, we'll find out if Michael, is, is, sorry, if Clive is spot on or if he's uh, got this one wrong. <laughs> um, anyway, who knows? It could be his number three, but let's find out. Michael, what's your number three? Okay, yeah, I'll keep going then. My number three is an album that I did talk about on the uh, podcast previously. It's uh, The Sciences by Sleep. Uh, Sleep are a band who first emerged in the early 90s. Uh, they quickly emerged as um, you know, a touchstone band of the stoner metal movement. 
Much better, much better, by the way. You prefer stoner metal, good. Stoner okay. metal's better than <laughs> post metal. <isn't> it? <laughs> right, okay. Um, and, uh, you know, highly psychedelic, uh, doom influenced metal. Uh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, big crushing movements. And um, with the release of their single uh, track album, Dope Smoker. Uh, which was um, heavily imperiled by record label disputes and essentially led to the original dissolution of the band. Um, they really set themselves out as the uh, the world leaders of the uh, of the sh- of the subgenre. Um, so last year, surprise release and surprise reunion with this album, The Sciences, and I've seen people argue that it's actually their best album. And I would, I mean, I'm, I would not dispute that. Really, uh, I think it's an absolutely titanic record. Uh, I mentioned um, it's got the best named track list of last year, I think. Uh, six tracks long altogether, bookended by a couple of instrumentals, and uh, with uh, with epic song titles like Antarcticans Thawed, uh, <laughs> yeah, The Botanist, and uh, of course Geezer Butler, which plays on the name of the uh, Black, S- Black Sabbath bass guitarist, but spelt in the style of the Pyramids of Geezer. Uh, and that's definitely oh, yeah, remember that. That's definitely the um my favorite track here with an absolutely uh you know splicing riff that powers uh, the vast majority of it. Uh and um, I mean sleep are um I mean they're, they're basically um you know they're a three-piece band. It's amazing that they produce a sound so massive sometimes. Uh one of the most integral parts being uh, Matt Pike who since the original breakup of Sleepers uh, carved his own path with uh, his band High on Fire. Uh, they also released an album last year, Electric Messiah, which was great. And it, um, I believe it won a Grammy, that album. Uh, so, I mean, a real, this will be the last time I mentioned the Grammys. But Pike mentioned uh, last year that this is um, this has been, uh, this is the point, in the first point in his career where he's um, been able to be a musician um, for a living and make music off it, uh, sorry, money off it, which I think it is uh, really hard won in his case. We're talking about decades of hard work, uh, and given some of the music that they've, uh, Sleep, for example, have pioneered, I think it's highly deserved. Anyone wondering why the drumming on this album is so superb, which it is, uh, it's because it's provided by Jason Roder of uh, Neurosis, who are an absolutely legendary metal band, uh, the absolute king of the drum fill. Can't think of anyone whose drum fills sound better. And an absolute perfect selection for this album, even though it doesn't sound anything like Neurosis. So I think that's a uh, really great diversity in terms of drumming style. He's one of my absolute favourites at the drum kit, I would say, even before this. So all in all, this is... I mean, when you re- when you add it up, this is, this is my favourite metal album of last year. Uh, so yeah, no, spoiler alert, there won't be any more metal on this list. But, um, no! <laughs> <laughs> sorry Alex, I'll have to save up a treat for you genre-wise for the next podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, definitely one of the best releases of last year. Um, Love to see it getting the amount of praise it did um, for such an important band. And I mean, I'm not a big fan of reunions in general. I think they're very risky. Often they're done for the wrong reasons. They're quite lazy a lot. But if a band's going to come out of nowhere and surprise release an album that live, absolutely lives up to its previous material and sounds just as quintessential now as any of their past material, then what's not to like? 
and you know sometimes these things do come off well and that's certainly the case uh, with this album so yeah this is absolutely one of the best releases of last year in any genre bam bam loves it his favourite metal album of the year yeah it just shows that guitar music um, it's not having its finest hour but very much alive and well yeah it is very much alive and well this is another one that I really want to listen to of yours, Michael, but a bit like you with my stuff, I'm behind. <laughs> yeah, always. <laughs> shit at catching up. Just so much um, stuff out there, that's the thing. There is, it's ridiculous, and especially with music, as we've talked about before. It's, I think, a lot easier to keep on top of films and stuff. Um, music is just ridiculous. Like, you could you could just listen endlessly. You could... Yeah, for sure. It would never end all day. Um, yeah. And you could put new stuff off and you'd never, have, you'd never run out of stuff. It is ridiculous, but kind of exciting. And, then, and that's just yeah. when you're talking about stuff that's come out this year. Like, <laughs> exactly, yeah. When, when you start going to the past, it's like, oh, my God. Well, it's like ridiculous. I could spend... The, the other week, I spent about a week just listening to REM and not a lot else. Yeah, yeah. And then I was exactly, like, well, shouldn't yeah. I listen to some new stuff? You know, it's, it's an ongoing <laughs> dilemma. It is, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, but great at the same time. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is definitely one of those I want to check out as well because... You're clearly very passionate about it, and I've heard, oh yeah, I've read lots of good stuff about it, and it sounds great. And also, the fact uh, that you've just mentioned the drumming is great is moving it up because I do love listening to good drumming. Oh, this um, is. I know yeah. a lot of the uh, reason I loved Elder last year mm-hmm. uh, was yeah. the drumming on that was fantastic. Not necessarily particularly technical, just a lot of just like bludgeoning brilliance there. And there's yeah, I that, like technical drumming as well, but it depends. Well, that's that's the thing with um, with uh, Roder's drumming. It's kind of it really it provides you know. It's like the scaffolding that the music is mm. built around, and it just it just sounds so good to listen to. You know, I can't yeah. I can't really judge it from a technical perspective anyway, but it just uh, I don't know. It's just you, you could listen. I could listen to just the drumming. That's that, yeah, obviously sure. that's a good sign. Uh, and the, th- the thing with this music is, is as well, I should say, is it's it's heavy, but not in a way that's going to be off-putting. I think to more casual listeners. Yeah, you know, and the vocals aren't harsh like they are with the Death Heaven album. Mm. There's not a lot of them actually, but they're usually sort of done in a sort of tribal, almost mantra style. Um, so they're quite unusual in that sense. But yeah, it's it's still. I feel like it's even though it's it's um, obviously it's long tracks. It's that sort of the, the feel, but it's it's still accessible. I think. Yeah. Sure. Cool. Michael, uh, you, you mentioned something there um, about how you know you listened to REM and you were thinking, um, you know, I need I need to be listening to new stuff. Do mm-hmm. you actually make you feel self feel guilty with that? Because I know uh, if I'm watching a movie that I've already watched, I think to myself, shouldn't I be really watching one of the many great movies that I haven't seen? I exactly. Feel like, I feel like I'm almost wasting my own time, but obviously, you know, that's stupid mm-hmm. thinking, but. Is, is, yeah. is, is that your thought process with music? I'm guessing. Yeah, it is basically. Yeah, um, you know, you you sort of I've sort of flipped back and forth between the two, mm-hmm. and when you listen to a lot of new stuff intensely, eventually you just get you get sick of that, and you want to go to the comfort of something older that you know. Uh, and I have the same thing with films that you mentioned. Like, I'll be feeling like, well, shouldn't I be watching one of the films I've got here that I haven't seen? But then, on the other hand, sometimes I think, well. I've seen so and so film. I think it's superb. It's brilliant. But actually, I've only seen it once. Can I say that sort of thing when I've only seen it once? You don't really get that with music because it's easy to listen to music while you're doing something around the house. You can't do that with a film, mm-hmm. uh, which is why I think sometimes you only see a film a couple of times. So even though you might love it, you know you haven't actually seen it that many times. Mm. Yeah, sure. Cool. And it's probably easier to. I mean, 
I think it's easier to absorb a film on the first viewing. I guess possibly just because of the simple fact that you are <laughs> forced to uh, be completely attentive to it, whereas with music, you might listen to an album first while doing something else, and you probably didn't get all of it. Absolutely, uh, yeah. And didn't concentrate on all the lyrics and all that kind of stuff. You have to really force yourself to sit down and listen to something and concentrate on it to to kind of build up your thoughts and things, I think, uh, with yeah. music. Which for me, I could listen to, there's some lessons, and John Hopkins might be one of those, I've probably listened to it like 20 times. I just haven't <laughs> jotted down the thoughts and things because it's so long ago now I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't have that, I'm going to sit down and listen to it while writing some notes down um, moment, which is kind of how I tend to come up with these thought well usually the thoughts and things are developing as i'm listening to it but then that's the moment when they kind of all comes down and gets jotted down do you know what i mean yeah and yeah if you leave Absolutely. it too long then it just, you just forget about it <laughs> yeah i mean we love them both don't we but they're, they're pretty different art forms when you think about it even yeah, though they complement sure. each mm. other quite well hmm. right uh well let's go back to clive clive what is your number three my number three, um, again, and one that I know Michael really liked, um, which is going back to the guitar music is not dead thing, uh, another testament to that, and it's Car Seat Headrest uh, with Twin Fantasy, which uh, Car Seat Headrest are an indie rock band led by Will Toledo, who essentially started the band as a solo project. Um, I believe they're called Car Seat Headrest because that's where he used to record. He used to record his vocals in the car um, because he was too scared of anyone hearing him. Um, this is a complete re-recording and reworking of 2011's Twin Fantasy, which I've not listened to the original at all, but this is absolutely fantastic. It's kind of sad and yet euphoric. It uh, really gets the juices flowing. It's some quite pumping uh, guitar segments, Nervous Young and Humans being a prime example of that. Um, it starts with this fantastic, like, just really driving riff that makes you just want to jump around the room. Um <laughs> but in a jolly way. And it's probably one of my favourite songs of the year. I've absolutely loved it. Um, I was slightly worried when I heard about the story of the album that it would be overproduced with it being like re-recorded, but it still sounds pretty raw, to be honest, um, which is something I'm more of a fan of with this type of music. It's an album that I think, if you're going to be harsh, could do with some editing uh, if you're looking at it objectively, because there's some songs that are quite long. There's some elongated segments where maybe necessarily they're longer than they should be. But I think the fact that it's here kind of warts and all makes it more unique and singular in my opinion and probably, although like I say, I haven't listened to the original album, makes it more of uh, a testament to that. I think it would you'd probably lose some of the original album's uh, stuff what people liked about the original album if you went and cut certain segments and uh, made it more compact. Um, it just gives the whole thing like a really kind of natural feel, which I really like. Um, it's essentially kind of about young desire and heartbreak. And at times it's very teeny, especially lyrically. But I think it nails the the feeling so perfectly um, and in a way that isn't at all manufactured, that it feels like a, a really unique piece of work. Um, it's a fabulous album. It's one that you, it's difficult to pick out songs to put on a playlist because they're all quite... Like, for example, Nervous Young and Humans is great. Uh, I think if you cut the last sort of couple of minutes, it would work as a radio hit, but that last couple of minutes is there and still works and is still a great part of the song, in my opinion. It just doesn't have any of the, you know, that pumping chorus, which <laughs> is, so, is so good, um, the kind of instrumental chorus. But, yeah, it's not thought of as an album for picking out tracks uh, to put on a playlist, but it's it's just brilliant to listen to and this this kind of guy's sort of unedited thoughts over yeah it's a really really good indie rock album in my opinion and you'd have to have to mention that 
best uh, beach life in death, uh, which I think is track two, is quite probably the best over 10 minute track that I've heard possibly ever. I'm struggling to think of one that's better. There's probably some Pink Floyd song out there that I like better that's more than 10 minutes long, but it's bloody brilliant. Um, there's so much diversity in it and yet it all fits together and it just gets better and better as it goes on and you're thinking this can't get any better and then the next bit's like whoa it's just it's just brilliant and it's kind of a in a way a good sort of compacted version of the the vision of the album i suppose um so yeah car seat headrest twin fantasy is fantastic i guess it's cheating a little bit because it's a reworking of an album that came out a long time ago but i didn't listen to that album and this one's fabulous, and I've not really listened to Car Seat Headrest much before, so this has certainly got me into them in a big way. Excellent. Michael, is this one you're familiar with? Well, I'm certainly familiar with it because it's my number two, so wow. I was going to okay. feel it might appear. Well, so this, <laughs> is, this is flawed perfectly. Into it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there's really not much to add, obviously, but this is a sensational album, and it pains me to put it at number two. It was such a difficult choice between my two and my one. Um, this I mean, it's been a long time since I had an indie record at number one on my list for the year, and I would have been happy to uh, to do that here, but uh, I just didn't just haven't in the end. But this is a superb listen. I re-listened to it this week just in preparation. Um, I was I mean, in contrast to the records I've already talked about, I was disappointed that this didn't get the love I thought it deserved at the end of the year, and I'm pretty certain that that was purely because a lot of publications treat it as a re-release mm-hmm. uh toledo said that he never considered the first album entirely finished so to me this is the polished article this is the the final album and um i thought it would have featured more prominently at the end of the year but I've, i can understand why it hasn't uh, but for me i have no qualms about putting it right right near the top of my list uh i think it's interesting what you mentioned, Clive, about nervous young inhumans because I think that that really gets to the crux of the issue with Toledo's songwriting. Uh, I think it's hard to imagine him wanting to churn out an album of uh, three-minute pop songs now, you know, mm-hmm. indie pop songs, because his uh, his work is <clears throat> again recurrent theme with all the albums I'm talking about here. But it's structurally ambitious for indie. It's yeah, it features definitely. several sections typically. And uh, his his work's been of such quality already that I can just ima- I can, it's hard to imagine him doing anything else. You know, I could imagine him just uh, blasting out albums like this of a high quality for a long time. But it'll be interesting to see how he develops. He's pretty young still. Um, the uh, I think it's interesting that since signing to Matador, who are a world leader these days in indie music, and uh, certainly Lush by Snail Mail was released on Matador. That would have been an album that uh, nearly made my list for uh, for the best of last year as well. Uh, not to mention Ice Age, the Danish band that I've mentioned on the podcast before. Their album last year, Beyondless, also on Matador. So this is a this is a label that's really um, pumping out quality indie rock music. Uh, but since since signing to Matador, Car Seat Headrest, because Toledo had been a prolific uh, online artist before that. Uh, they released uh, a compilation of re-recorded tracks. Then they released Teens of Denial, which was the first original material for the label. Now they've re- released a re-recording of a previous project. So there hasn't been a lot of brand new material uh, since that signing, but these last two albums have been so superb that you've got to be excited for whatever comes next. I don't think you'd heard Teens of Denial yet, had you, Clive? 
I hadn't, no, I've now listened to it a bit, but um, All right, yeah, okay. not, not loads, but I really like it, so I need to listen to it more. Yeah, I mean, for me, there was barely any difference between the two albums. They were both full of um, huge power pop anthems. Uh, like you said, they they basically touch on um, a lot of uh, young love, young angst, uh, you know, well-worn themes, but brilliantly done. There's a lot of scribbling mm-hmm. in the margins with Toledo's writing, uh, yeah. a lot of lyrical callbacks, self-reflexive stuff uh, you've got a section on here where uh, the cover artist explains her work you don't hear that on many albums uh, and then at the end uh, kind of like the uh, the denouement of the album where uh, lyrically Toledo does a short speech which I think really gives you the uh, it, sort of, it sort of allows the flexibility for you to apply the album to anything like you could apply it to your own case I think it's really quite open and democratic in that sense. I thought it was quite interesting. You don't hear that sort of uh, storytelling almost on an album very often. No, no. And like, as as Clive's mentioned, I mean, there's a lot of interesting. There's even some great instrumental passages on the album that aren't guitar, which I thought uh, was quite interesting as well. Made it quite diverse. But a lot of good riffs, a lot of huge punch the air moments, and these are all the sort of characteristics that I've quickly come to assume. Uh, come to assume sort. Of, to expect from an album from this band. So uh, I was lucky enough to see them live a couple of years ago as well already. Um, I'm hoping to do so again if the opportunity arises. Uh, they've expanded their live show quite significantly, apparently. We've got a lot of musicians on there now. Uh, so, yeah, really excited about this band, and uh, this is a worthy number two. It could quite easily have been number one for me. Um, yeah, really great album. Right, well... I'm glad that you've got some in tune uh, picks anyway, uh, possibly more than one. We'll see. Well, can I just can I just mention? I'm going to just put a spoiler in now because DJ Cause is not going to be my number one. Oh, okay. So I just want to talk. Ooh. I just want to talk briefly about it since Clive sure. did. Okay. It doesn't really yeah, make yeah, sense. Okay. <laughs> doesn't really make sense to come in at the end with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I've, I thought I'd keep you in suspense for a little bit anyway. Um, <laughs> but basically, the same thoughts. That's a great summer album, um, an electronic album. You know, like like Hopkins, like I mentioned, but completely different. Um, in many senses, a pop album, uh, full of great songcraft, uh, very hazy desert-based sound, which I think is reflected in the album cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, an epic album in terms of uh, the size of it and scale, but just uh, the quality maintains throughout, which is some triumph really for an album that long. Uh, it's an album that I think this is always valuable. I'm always going to associate with Last Summer when it was really hot, we had the World Cup going on, um, I listened to it on a few walks, had it on in the car a lot, and I think I'll always associate it with uh, with those memories, so that's nice, really gives tell it an you, anchor. Tell you what, Michael, I'm surprised you were able to find time to listen to that in between uh, repeated bouts of Three Lions. I mean, that was the, uh, <laughs> that, that was the song of the summer, again, right. so, since 1998 or whatever it was. <laughs> Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> but the but one of the actual the actual song of the summer was on this album, uh, Pick Up, wow. <laughs> which is an amazing slice of uh, of French house. And there's a lot of different electronic uh, subgenres actually throughout the album. If you're listening closely enough, quite a lot of hip hop, bouncy hip hop's instrumentalist sort of influenced stuff on the second half of it. But I mean, yeah, I, I, this is uh, this is an album that would be in my top ten. Oh, it's a packed field, and I'm starting to doubt what the other five in my top ten would be at this stage. Uh, but mm. yeah, just wanted to expand <laughs> on what Clive said. Cool. No, thanks for that because um, I feel like my thoughts weren't uh, 
weren't particularly developed. I felt bad about that. Well, this seemed so. direct, seemed direct <laughs> to me. Got to the point. Good. Cool. Good. Uh, well, let's find out what Clive's number two is anyway. Uh, hit us, Clive. Well, my number two is an, uh, features an artist that I've really got into this year, which is Kanye. I've listened to now his entire back catalogue and uh, love to discuss that with Michael at some point. But um, as we're talking about last year, um, the release I'm on about is Kids See Ghosts, which is the third release in a summer of Kanye releases, um, which is uh, one that he did with Kid Cudi. Um, the band is called Kids See Ghosts and the album is Kids See Ghosts. It's a sort of psychedelic, grungy um, rap album, I'd say. It's really well produced, obviously, because Kanye is involved, but it has this kind of... Um, raw sound with the structure of it like it feels um, I think I mentioned this when I reviewed it before like they came up with the songs quite quickly but then and the structures and things feel quite raw but then they've developed it in terms of what they've added to it afterwards and um, so it does sound quite well produced in that regard um, it's just got a boundless energy to it which I absolutely love um, feel the love a good example I think that's the opening track uh, you know there's this kind of it has this really sort of easy, catchy chorus, but then towards the end, um, Kanye's like just going brap, brap, and, uh, you know, rhythmically, and it kind of, um, that then gets echoed with actual instrumentation, with drumming afterwards, and I just think it's fantastic, and there's just loads of these cool, fun ideas. Um, and the way the track finishes in a sort of big blaze of glory rather than uh, fading out, it just kind of stops um, it, in the middle of, you know, almost a climaxy section. <laughs> um, it's just fantastic and kind of epitomizes what this album is about. Everything's unexpected um, and just, you know, brimming with energy. The, the other good tracks, are they're all great. It's a, as with all of the Kanye releases, they were just, it's only seven tracks long. It's not particularly low, uh, you know, they're not, abnormally long songs so obviously it's quite a short album um, but that works brilliantly because everything is gold uh, Fourth Dimension is kind of reminiscent of like earlier Kanye with kind of relentless flow in both the beat and the rapping um, Kanye's on particular humorous form on that song but also in on the album in general Kid Cudi has is perhaps a bit more personal on the album, talks a lot about mental health and things um, and adds a lot of, I don't know, the, the two kind of juxtapose really, really well, I think. Um, and Kanye does later on get into more uh, sort of personal struggles. Uh, for example, on the song Reborn, when he's a, what some of the lyrics are, I was off the chain, I was often drained, I was off the meds, I was called insane, what an awesome thing, engulfed in shame, I want all the rain, I want all the pain. Um, some pretty sort of personal lyrics there not really you know he's not really hiding anything he's just going out and saying it and i feel like probably having kid cuddy next to him is what uh, inspired that kind of songwriting even though it's something kanye has delved uh, certainly delved into in the past on uh, particularly on my beautiful dark twisted fantasy have i said that the right way around i always get dark and beautiful the wrong way around Michael. you have you nailed it brilliant <laughs> fabulous i'm gonna get it wrong when i mention it again later <laughs> it's gonna get mentioned again later. um yeah, and it's just it's fabulous. I think the it's, I love how the album ends with this song um, that's shine your light on me, save me, please, and just does that kind of fades out. And I just think it's absolutely fabulous. It's just so good from start to finish. I love it. It's like a, a sugar hit. Um, <laughs> you put it on and you, yeah, it's just perfect and it's the perfect length. I, I just love everything about it. I think it's fabulous. I love the cover. I think it epitomizes kind of how the, the, the kind of fun nature of the album. And I just think it's two artists like pushing each other to make 
really, really good music and almost in a way freeing each other to try things that they maybe wouldn't have done on their own. And maybe their sort of self-critical nature would have stopped them doing. Uh, but someone going there to go, yeah, that's fucking great, uh, has made them do something a bit different, if you know what I mean. I have no idea if that's actually how it happened. That's just a feeling I get. And as, as someone who writes music myself, I know that can happen with me. And yeah, it's just a really, really fabulous album. I'm so happy it exists. And it's my number two for last year. That's Kids See Ghosts. Fantastic. Michael, I'm guessing you've got some sort of thoughts on this. Yeah, I think it's a great album. I think you put it very, very beautifully there, Clive. Um, I'm glad that you sang uh, the chorus there from Cudi Montage, which I thought was a strange title for a song that I was expecting just to be a sort of Kid Cudi solo effort when I approached it. Mm. But it's actually my favourite on the album, uh, Perfect Closer. Uh, yeah. superbly samples uh, an acoustic guitar riff from a Kurt Cobain home recording, Burn the Rain. Uh, just work- Oh, wow, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay, it just cool. works perfectly. It um, does, yeah. yeah. I didn't realise it was that, but yeah. And there's a, quite a lot of rock and psychedelic influence on this album, which isn't that surprising, because I think that's the sort of thing that's really powered Cuddy throughout his career. Um, but this is uh, this is unusual for a Kanye album. It feels very loose uh, and quite raw, I think, and very off the yeah. cuff. And I think that is probably its strongest quality. Um, in his early days especially every Kanye track felt so not in a bad way or very laboured over very tightly controlled mm-hmm. felt like so much work had gone into them doesn't really feel like that's how he works anymore now and uh, in this case I think it's the best example of, of how that, is, that can work for him as well yeah for sure uh, so yeah and especially the length as well just makes it an album that's easy to listen to repeatedly uh, and yeah especially the last three tracks I think are uh, pretty amazing but the, the whole thing is very highly listenable touches on a lot of surprising themes as you mentioned uh, mm-hmm. for me I like to think it um, sort of it touches upon uh, loneliness like you said mental health self-doubt um, self-doubt probably something that people uh, wouldn't think Kanye's suffered from a lot but I think we've seen in the last couple of years that actually there's a lot of mental issues going on there and some of that sort of ties into this record uh, and yeah, I thought. Um, I mean, I've just got. I've just. Picked, I haven't heard them yet, but I've just picked up the last two uh, albums by Nas and Tiana Taylor from the Wyoming Sessions, uh, which I haven't. I haven't heard yet, but I'm looking forward to doing that, especially for Kanye's production. Really mm. interesting series of albums from last year, which I know we talked about quite a bit on the podcast. So uh, yeah, I think uh, although it didn't make my list, and although I wasn't opposed to the idea of the 20 minute albums. It, for me, it felt like, you know, compared to the albums I've actually got on my list, it felt like it it left the albums lacking a little bit. I know being left to want more isn't a bad thing, but it just felt like mm-hmm. they were two or three tracks away from being uh, more fully realised to me. I think that's why they haven't yeah, really sure. featured on my list. But uh, but Kids See Ghosts is a great album, and I, I much prefer it, I would say, to... Although it's it's good, but not as consistent, Watch the Throne. I would say I prefer this collaborative effort to the effort with Jay-Z, Watch the, Watch the Throne from 2011. So, mm-hmm. so, yeah, just an interesting comparison point. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's just, yeah, I think the rawness of it is absolutely what makes me like it so much. That's something I've always liked where... They, someone hasn't necessarily necessarily laboured over things too much. Although I, don't, I like that too, um, and that's certainly something Kanye is really good at. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes I'd like it when an artist is just like, okay, I've written this and I'm gonna record it really well and produ- produce it really well, but it's gonna stick with the thing I had initially. Yeah. Um, that kind of spark of inspiration, and that's what this feels like. And I think songs like Free, which are essentially about freedom, kind of have more impact because of that. 
Um, yeah, so I think it's a really good album. Oh, yeah, I mean, well, I, I said the last three tracks in particular. I should have said the last four because that's a brilliant song. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, they're, they're more song based. It doesn't almost feel like hip hop at times, really. Yeah, sure. Which is no, quite interesting. True. First time you've really been able to say that about Kanye, I would say, even though his stuff's always been very, very interesting. Mm. Absolutely. Right. Excellent. Um, so let's go and find out the most coveted prize in music the, <laughs> Ma- the Michael Johnson Award for Best Album of 2018 goes to. It's a late entry from the end of last Ooh. year um, that I haven't discussed before. Uh, and I have decided to put it at number one after much uh, debate. That's Aviary by Julia Holter. Ooh. American musician who has uh, been on a streak of um, quite experimental uh, albums that have a basic pop sensibility, quite baroque often, uh, quite hard to classify in terms of sound. Uh, 2013's Loud City song was a previous favourite of mine. Um, surprisingly easy to get into, given that it's um, you know it's not one for a casual listen in terms of vocals or song structures. Quite unusual, and I was quite surprised by the follow-up 2015's "Have You in My Wilderness" because that was uh, did seem a lot more conventional to me. It featured some great, um, more straightforward songs on it, and I imagined that that would be a similar direction that Holter would be going on on her next album. But it's she's completely rewritten that with this album. Uh, released on Domino, it's a it's a double album, uh, fifteen tracks in total. Most of them are very long. Uh, it's highly experimental, and uh, th- this is the the difficult thing about putting it at number one is this is a very difficult album to talk about. It's it, I mean in terms of deciding what genre it is, I think avant garde is probably the best descriptor, even though it doesn't really give anything away. And unfortunately, you know, the average listener is probably going to find this quite unlistenable for a lot of the way. But, um, I mean, if anyone... All you would need to do to uh, suck someone's interest in, I think, and decide whether someone is going to enjoy the uh, the record is to go to YouTube, watch the gorgeous video for Words I Heard, which I think is the probably the most conventional song in terms of uh, traditional song structures on the album and a really sweeping, uh, beautifully put-together song. Uh, this album has uh, string arrangements to die for, basically. Um, it also it features some highly unusual uh, moments in it, both vocally and musically. Uh, but if you enjoy that song, you, there may be enough on the album to uh, you know to interest you. Even though it's very much, I would say, the most conventional, most song uh, you know, traditional style of song on the on the record. But again, a very long one. So the album is uh, according to Halter, it's based on the idea of memory. And I think it's always interesting to see what, obviously, an artist, what sort of thematics they've poured into their work. Uh, and I think sometimes the, the the influences that are cited by an artist just make perfect sense. And to me, this was an album where this happened when I was reading up about it. And I think one that comes to mind from the recent past would be Reflector by Arcade Fire. I won't go into that, but it poured into it a lot of quite disparate influences, cultural ideas... And they just seem to come together perfectly in the album. And this sort of feels like that to me. It's uh, highly inspired by poetry. And specifically, Halter has, cite, has said that it was it was sort of influenced by the idea of memory in medieval times. And the more she listened to it, um, sorry, the more she thought about the, the way the music was developing or whatever, 
Um, she sort of had images of birds and sort of a room full of screeching birds, hence the album title of Aviary. And the more I listen to it, I don't know, somehow it just sort of seems to tie together and you really get a quite powerful sense of what she was feeling and intending when she was creating this music. And, uh, you know, to a lot of people, much like the music, it may sound like wankery, all of that. But <laughs> I just think, you know, when you're in the moment and you're really engrossed by an album, a lot of the time that just makes a lot of sense. This is definitely one that you're not going to put on casually. You know, you're going to sit and uh, really absorb it. So, I mean, it's this is why it was so difficult to put it at number one. It's difficult to take an album that's like this, that's so unusual, and put it above all of these albums that have these more obviously cathartic moments or that you feel a lot of passion about and can talk about at length. Mm. This doesn't have those sort of references because of the style of the music. It's quite exper- obviously highly experimental, like I said, but just it's it's hard to even come up with references to compare it to. Um, but as I say, that song would be the one that people who are interested in the album should go away and listen to. It's definitely one of the best of last year. And then a lot of the al- the rest of the album is it's going to struggle to sustain the interest of a lot of people. But for me, it was beautiful enough that I wanted to rank it at number one. And it was a complete battle between this and Car Seat Headrest. Um, but this is the one that obviously won out in the end. And I don't know where Halter goes from here. As I said, she's produced a string of uh, brilliant albums, been one of the most interesting artists of re- recent years, uh, despite one that I don't think I've ever talked about on the podcast before. But when you produce something this career-defining, you know, I'm not really sure how you go about following that up, but I'm sure she'll have some interesting ideas. And... Even though it's far less conventional, it's not sort of folk-based like this record, sort of put me in mind of um, Joanna Newsom's Have One On Me, which is one of my favourite albums of the decade. Uh, that one's a triple album. Uh, but just the sheer scope of it, and I don't know, something about this, it feels very organic, like that album, even though it does feature some electronic uh, music on this one, Aviary. Uh, but it's... Yeah, I mean, you can you can tell I'm struggling to articulate it perfectly, but it's it's it, I've decided. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> well, you know, it's just I, it, it's just sort of it's just trying to it's just flowing out of me really. But it's 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 my favourite record of last year um, on the basis of some of the things I've said. So and it's a bit of a left field choice, probably one of the strangest albums I've ranked in one of these top fives before. But uh, that's what that's what I've I've felt and that's what I've gone with in the end. Well, awesome. Um, <clears throat> I think you've described. Yeah, I think those those are like unconventional albums are the hardest to describe because you can't usually use. They really are. Uh, you yeah. Know, yeah, you can't use the conventional ways of describing music, and music is, in my opinion, you know, ten times harder to talk about than <laughs> a lot of the other art forms. Um, but yeah, I think you described it really well. It sounds absolutely fascinating. I'm gonna definitely gonna have to give that a listen. It sounds yeah, I love the idea of it, like evoking such a kind of specific thing, but also something that's quite. Um, I don't know. Like it, it's, it's her, uh, the idea of this birds in this room be, is quite specific, but obviously it's way more expansive than that, and um, yeah. it's kind of what that represents. And yeah, I don't know. It sounds fascinating. Yeah, there's certainly a density to that sort of reference, but it's um, yeah, it's just really interesting and just uh, it's so absorbing and atmospheric that it just makes sense somehow when I listen to it anyway. Hmm. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, when you were saying you were struggling to articulate that, Michael, I was thinking, what on earth is he going on about? Because you articulated that very well. Um, oh, well, thank you. That's good to hear. I'm, I'm, agreed, can't, agreed. Can't pretend that I um, 
have a clue what that's about, but I'm very interested. Um, so now for the the second most respected prize in music, <laughs> I'll take the, the Clive Fisher Award for. Best I mean, album. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, <laughs> well, mine is. I guess would you describe Julia Holter as folky? Traditionally, I would have. Yeah, I think it moves away from that on this, but yeah, in, okay. in the past, I probably would have. Yeah. Um, so I think we've got a double. Let's go for. A, well, let's, let's just say it is. For the sake of this, right. uh, we've got a double folk number one. Wow! Um, my number one is an album that I talked about in the, earlier in the year, and that's been a grower because I didn't at that point expect it to be number one. And I think at that point there were albums from the year that I preferred to it probably. But um, my number one is Ben Howard's Noonday Dream, oh, um, wow. Wow. which is his third album. I've been a fan of all of them, but this is definitely my favourite. Um, he's really kind of advanced his sound. Um, Every Kingdom, his first album was. Quite simple, um, op- quite simple, kind of optimistic, uh, you know, normal song structures, catchy choruses and stuff. And he talks about interesting stuff on there and um, certainly a good lyricist too, um, but wasn't, you know, groundbreaking or anything. I didn't think it was just good, folk, good, you know, optimistic folk music, um, which got him, got him a good following. Um, he got darker and more complex on his next album and he's just kind of developed and continued to get kind of darker and more complex with soundscapes and song structures and more depth to his vocal delivery too like i feel he's now more focused on almost creating a a song as a a sort of soundscape i'm going to use that word a lot because i think it's kind of (laughs) a lot of what he's about um as opposed to necessarily coming up with choruses and things and just songs that right just take you away somewhere rather than fit any standard structure and it's something that i've really loved in how his songwriting has developed um it's again he's one he's someone that's matured in a way that i like uh it's it's not got more boring it's the opposite it's got (laughs) more interesting and he's pushing boundaries and doing things that are a bit more just a bit more different um he's always creating this whole the thing that he's fantastic at in my opinion is just creating this really fabulous kind of instrumental bedding underneath all of his songs and it's not always that there's loads going on he just has this ability to pick exactly the right sounds to fit with the vibe of the song if you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Um, his vocals have become like very murmured, particularly on this album, um, gives, which gives kind of almost a background feel to the album, which I think is kind of deceptive, um, especially, and it's possibly why maybe it didn't, uh, wasn't initially something that I thought was going to be my number one, because it doesn't, nothing is demanding your attention. It's all very backgroundy, but it, the more you listen to it, it demands your attention just because of how good it is. And um, I think in a way that's more respectable. Uh, <laughs> like, I mean, I know I went through a phase of, um, and, and I still do really like writing. I got fed up of, I, did, I just didn't enjoy performing slow songs um, because it felt like often in the venues I play, a lot of people don't give a shit. Um, and if you're just playing some slow song, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't demand attention. And um, so I started writing songs where I was just basically screaming my head off and it's just like, you're going to listen, you fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> and I found that and I just found that way more satisfying. Um, and I still do find that more satisfying to play in those kinds of venues. But um, this is the kind of the opposite to that. It just sits back and you have to be like, okay, I'm going to listen to this. And then when you do, you're rewarded uh, tenfold. It's it feels very embedded in nature, which is going to go into when I go kind of personal as to why this has had a particular personal collection later uh, comes into it. 
it's like tallest man on earth one of my favorite artists also has kind of a very natural feel like he's you know very outdoorsy um although i feel like with ben howard it's more about his instrumental choices than his lyrics whereas with tallest man on earth it's possibly the other way around although also a bit of both um lyrical lyrically it seems contemplative his thoughts it's basically his thoughts in various places not um, I think it, it seems to have been written kind of after a tour, a little bit while on tour, I would guess. Not dissimilar from um, Sister Cities earlier by the Wonder Years. But honestly, I haven't looked into it lyrically all that much because I've just not felt the need. Like the lyrics combine with, combine with the delivery and the instrumentation and invoke something really beautiful. And, that, and that's kind of all I need. I don't need to, uh, you know, go and read the lyrics on their own or I just haven't felt the need to do that. Um, I think if you want to listen to a track... I like to recommend your song a bit like you did, uh, Michael, with, mm-hmm. with your number one, um, that people can listen to and go, whether they think they're going to like it if they've never heard of Ben Howard or whatever. Yeah. And the, the track I would recommend for that is A Boat to an Island on the Wall, which is seven minutes long. It's this expansive piece which just starts with this kind of acoustic guitar fading in after some industrial sounds and ends with this massive soundscape. Here he goes again, led by... Uh, you sort of grinding electric guitar riff, which is something that you wouldn't necessarily expect having heard the sort of instrumentation previously, but absolutely works. And the kind of vocals, the hushed vocals kind of juxtapose with it really, really nicely. It's a beautiful, expansive, just really well-constructed song um, that's kind of, yeah, a, a journey, a bit like the album is. So I think it does epitomise kind of what the album's about. So go and listen to that if you like it. I probably think you'll listen, you'll like the rest of it. Um, I feel like this is an album that I've, I spoke to loads of people and uh, some of my best friends also have it very close to their favourite of the year. But some people have been, I think have just given it a couple of listens and then been like, oh, it's not as... Because it isn't as immediately catchy as, as other stuff, but um, I think there's so much more to it, and in my opinion, it's there's something just really special about it, and it, it is better than the other two, in my opinion, because of that. I want to go into a bit more why it's my number one, just to finish off, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of more personal stuff, I suppose. So I recently went through a breakup and then travelled around Thailand, Cambodia, and Vietnam um, on my own. Um, this, along with Kanye's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, um, were the albums that define the trip for me um, easily. Um, generally, I whenever I was on a night bus or doing some hitchhiking in a truck at, at night, I would listen to <laughs> Kanye's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, and it was perfect. Um, often this one, when I was out in nature, I would listen to it. Uh, you know, I've lost count of how many times I listened to this album walking along a beach, um, often in the dark or as a sunset, kind of. The, the, in my opinion, there's no better album for that. It's it just helped me contemplate the past, kind of dream about the future and just generally felt like a kind of warm hug when I needed one. Um, I know I'm a man of much hyperbole, but <laughs> I honestly think this album like has helped me become more at peace with myself and just helped kind of um, f- like bridge the gap between that life and my life as it is now, if you know what I mean. Um, and I think it'll like forever mean that for me. And that's pretty, that's a pretty huge thing. So that's kind of why it's my number one. I just think it's a, really wonderful piece of art and yeah it's fabulous people should listen to it and i think the people who've listened to it a couple of times and thought mm, it's not as they need to give it some more listens and maybe listen to it while you're going for a walk in the peaks or somewhere outside or you know in nature because i feel like that's kind of what birthed the album and also the only way um, the only way you really appreciate it properly and um, i think a lot of the time 
music can be situational and it takes being in the right situation for you to get it <laughs> completely. Um, and I think this is one of those. I know I always, <clears throat> I always refer back to Radiohead's Kid A when I talk about this because I listen to it like 10, 20 times in the day and just didn't get it. And then I listened to it once at night on a bus and I was like, wow, <laughs> I am now. Love and it. That's now one of my favorite albums. Love it when that uh, happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is, <clears throat> I think this is one of those too. And yeah, it's, it's fabulous. Well, I mean, very beautifully put again, Clive. Uh, I haven't heard it, but um, I always get the impression from afar without having really listened to him that Howard is um, an artist who's grown quite a lot since he originally came out. So um, I think it's very interesting to have him at number one there. Definitely. I think the thing that I like as well is that he is an artist that does have quite a mainstream following. Yeah. But unlike a lot of artists that have that, he's pushing boundaries and people seem to like it i'm always surprised at some of the people who say they are fans of ben howard because <laughs> a lot of his stuff he does have these kind of seven and eight minute songs that i wouldn't associate with uh that certain people listening to do you know what i mean yeah which and i think that's kind of cool it's not easy to do is it but if you're able to come out in a certain style and secure quite a loyal and sometimes large fan base and then still go on to basically do whatever you want while retaining a lot of that loyalty that's a really yeah, that's that must be a really nice position to be in as a musician or any artist. Yeah, sure. Mm. Yeah, you sounded very surprised when he said that as number one, uh, Michael. Uh, were you expecting something else? I wasn't expecting any anything specific, no. But I really wasn't sure what to expect. So that was that was all that was going on there. And it's not... Um, I mean, I'm sure Clive will know this. It's not a record that I've seen mentioned much. So that's... Well, I think it's nice, in a way, to have a record like that at number one, especially when it means something personal to you. Yeah, it's, I don't know why, because Ben Howard's pretty big here, but he doesn't seem to get... Yeah. His albums don't seem to get reviewed by a lot of the publications, like, I've noticed that. The ones that review it tend to be quite underground ones, even though I wouldn't consider him an underground musician at all. No, it's strange, <laughs> that, isn't it? why that's happened. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great, though, yeah. So, yeah. But it's excellent. Right, okay. I'll, I'll, fit, I'll have to listen to it now. I mean, if it's at, num- mm. if it's at your number one, I'll have to give it a listen. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, the the final track as well, Murmurations, is ugh, talk about perfect closers again. A perfect closer. It just has this. I can't remember the lyrics specifically, but it has this. Like this, he sings something, and then there's this, like this very back. It's so in the background, you can barely hear what they're saying. But it adds so much. It's I don't know. It's hard to describe. Right. <laughs> uh, it's kind of core like uh, choir in the background that's so in the background that you can barely hear it. But it adds so much that kind of little touch. Um, and then the album's just kind of full of those little things. But I was just going to suggest, um, in terms of a consensus, obviously the only one I think we can really say, I think we should just say Car Seat Headrest is the consensus number one. I think it has Makes to be. sense for me, yeah. It has to be. And then maybe yeah. have our sort of number ones as... A joint second. <laughs> joint second, yeah, sort of wingmen to that. <laughs> yeah, we're, not gonna, we're not sneaking in a sixth one, though. If they're both joint seconds... Oh, yeah. There's only a number three and number four, then... Um, Mm, any arguments you would like to make regarding number three and number four? Um, I don't know if well, maybe we should just leave it. I don't know. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we need to do it, do we? Have a All top the... three, then. A top three. Yeah. I would have been quite yeah, happy for I it to so. be uh, Kids See Ghosts and DJ Cause, though, because they're two albums that I did really like from last year, um, even though yeah, they weren't in my top true. five. So. And I would have still had um, two of my five on there, so that would have worked for me. Cool. cool. Let's call it a top three. Let's call it a top if, three. Uh, if people out there are desperate for a top five, go with what Michael just said. Yeah. 
So, um, our official, can you remind me of the full title of our number one album? Yes, that's Twin Fantasy by Car Seat Headrest. Wins the third best music prize in all of in all of music, <laughs> the Stick Around Best Album of 2018, which is perversely not as highly respected as your own individual awards. But uh, which, mi- which means that the joint number twos have better awards than the consensus winner. Yes, bizarrely. <laughs> 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 um, yes, they do. I guess because of uh, the the number ones are more personal, which uh, yeah isn't necessarily going to be the case. I'm the, sure Julia will be uh, well. will be on the phone shortly to thank me. <laughs> I hope so. I'm expecting a call from Ben. Um, I do actually have a link to Ben, but I've not met him myself. All right. I know someone. I know someone who knows a good friend of his and has met him quite a few times. Um, Maybe you will find out cool. down the grapevine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I'm feeling. I'm feeling quite emotional, guys. It's the last of the lists. We're back into new content um, from next. next yeah. Time. Yeah, it's quite well, emotional, isn't it? I mean, not, I mean, it won't be long before we've got more lists. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's not, is it? Nine months. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've said before. I've said before that I don't have a problem with the list being done now because it gives you more time to reflect. But also, I've only heard three albums from 2019 so far, so this hasn't harmed me. This still hurt. Yeah, same. I'm behind. I always am, actually. Usually the start of the year is catching up on yeah. last year, which is why this is perfect. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> a few things have crept in. I know I'm saying that it should be done now, but actually, the uh, obviously, the end-of-year lists from most places uh, give you a lot of reference points for things to check out, don't they? So it's pretty mm-hmm. good. Yeah, it's always a busy, exactly. busy time of year for music, the uh, move in, movement into the new year. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, before we, we say goodbye, I just want to make a point. Uh, you will have noticed James Cable is missing. Um, he's not going to be on as much anymore, unfortunately, because he's uh, just because his schedule at the minute is not fitting with ours, which is a shame. Um, hopefully, in the future, it will fit better and he'll be back on more regularly. But he's certainly still around. Um, yeah, he's not been just banned. Won't hear him quite as often. He's not been banned. We still love him. We want him on. We do. <laughs> uh, you just might not hear him as much as you have in the past, which is a shame. But he'll be there. Right, fantastic. Um, well, um, like I said, it's been emotional, guys. Uh, I'm going to go and download all of the music you've just put on your top three. <laughs> I thought you were going to say porn there. Uh, well, <laughs> irrelevant. That's, or- that's right. already going at the minute, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> okay. I did wonder why you couldn't hear us properly. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you very much, Michael Johnson. Thank you. Thank you very much, Clive Fisher. Cheers. Thanks to me, because I'm mint. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was going to say you've done a good job, but yeah, now that you've picked yourself up, I'm less keen. Did, did it for myself, yeah. didn't I? Uh, right, well, yeah. next time you hear us after this one, we should hopefully have some new content for you, and mm. we'll get 2019 <laughs> going in the fourth month. <laughs> we, should yeah. hope, time. we should hopefully have some new content for you. If, if not, it'll be Hopefully. number six to number ten from our lists of last year. <laughs> we've decided we've just given up on new content, and we're just going to stick. We're just going to pretend twenty eighteen was the last year of the earth. Yep, and just go with that. <laughs> the fuck not. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Remember to stick around. Stick around. Give us, give us, a, give us a stick around, Michael. Stick around. There you go, and you can do it. Good job. German accent's coming on nicely. 
Thanks. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found the best podcast in the universe. It's Stick Around.